And it reads like this. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier and where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herdsmen and the herdsmen of Lot. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were also living in the land at that time. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herdsmen and mine, for we are brothers. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. Lot looked up and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt toward Zor. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Have a seat this morning. The title of the message, unless Lenny changes it, which he does every Sunday, um, the choices that reveal our character. The choices that reveal our character. You know, the Eskimos are among the greatest hunters of the world. But there is one animal that is the most difficult one to catch. This animal, out of all the animals, has the greatest intellect, the keenest smell, and the sharpest eyesight. For the Eskimos to survive, they must trap and kill this animal before it destroys their way of life. This is how the Eskimos live. This animal that I'm talking about is the white wolf. The white wolf has a sense of smell that can detect the presence of a human two miles away. Those who have studied the white wolf say that his eyesight is so great that if a man had the same eyesight as this white wolf, he could read a newspaper 150 yards away. That's pretty sharp. I can't even read a newspaper right here. <laughs> but it is their eyesight, it is their sense of smell, and it is their cunningness that makes them the most difficult animal to bring down. But the Eskimos have devised a tactic that never fails. And it is similar to the same tactic that the devil uses on you and me today. The same thing. See, the Eskimos say there's no sense in going against all the ability that the white wolf has. 
because he's got all this stuff and it works against the Eskimos because they can't smell as good. They can't see as good. They're not as cunning as a white wolf. So they got to work with what they got. Just like the enemy says, there's no sense in going against the power of God inside that Christian. So in order to bring down the white wolf, the Eskimo takes a knife and sharpens it razor sharp, razor sharp. And then they put it outside and they let it freeze. And then after it's frozen, they bring it back in and they dip it in blood and they put it outside again to freeze. And once it's frozen, they come back and they dip it in blood again and they let it freeze. And they do this over and over and over again until there is a thick coat of blood on this knife. And then they take this knife and they go out into the wilderness and they plant it in the ground, blade up. And the wolf, scenting the blood that is on the blade, Sensing that there's no danger because there's no human being within two miles believes that he has a free lunch. There is nothing to be alarmed about. So he begins to make his way towards the knife. And the blood that is drawn on this knife, that the blood that is on this knife has drawn him to it. And he begins to lick it and nothing happens. And then he licks it again. And then he licks it again. And with every lick, he's working closer and closer and closer to what is eventually going to destroy him. How many Christians have been tempted to give in to sin? Tempted to mix God's standards with the world's standards. With just that one lustful glance. That first drink, that little white lie, cheating on a test, cheating on their taxes, cheating on their spouses, taking that first lick, that second lick, that third lick, nothing's happening. Let's go on to the fourth one and the fifth one. And what you're doing is you're getting closer and closer and closer to what is eventually going to destroy you. See, when the white wolf is out there, he kind of gets comfortable because there's nothing around. And so it begins to lick faster and faster. And as he begins to taste this frozen blood, it gets better and better and better. And then he gets to the blade. And when he gets to the blade, he begins to slice his tongue. But he doesn't even know it because his tongue has been numbed by the blood on the ice. And now he's tasting his own blood. And he continues to lick and lick and lick until the blade is clean, but his tongue is shredded. The white wolf never walks more than one mile before he bleeds to death and the hunter has won. That's how the devil works with us. 
He's planted blades all around us. And all he wants us to do is to get comfortable with the first lick. Just the first one. No one will ever see. No one will ever know. You're safe. Don't worry. You're watching your own computer in your own room and nobody knows. But with every lick, with every sight that you're looking at, with every glance that causes you to rubberneck, with every time you cheat on your taxes, every time you have an opportunity to lie, you lie, that lick gets you closer and closer to that blade that eventually is going to destroy you and kill you. See, the blade that the enemy offers to us Man, it looks good to us, just like that bloody knife looks good to that wolf. That's exactly how the blade looks to us. It looks beautiful. It looks desirable. It looks something like you really want to experience it. I got to have it, and I got to have it now. Something that's going to bring you satisfaction. Something that's going to bring you pleasure. But it's going to destroy your life. Numerous Christians have been overcome by things that Satan has put in front of them, and they've lost everything, everything that was precious to them, their home, their marriage, their family, their friends, their ministry, their name, their integrity, lost it all because of the first lick. Sometimes when we're in the middle of licking the blade, we're telling ourselves, I can handle this. I, I can handle this. Not, pro not a problem. I can do this. I'm strong. I got it. Don't worry. I can do this. I don't know. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he or slash she fall. See, the man we're going to learn of today is the man that took the first lick. And he felt okay with it. And so he took the second lick and the third one and so on and so on. And it destroyed his life and it almost destroyed his soul. That man's name is Lot. And I think that he is an example to every Christian who tries to live as close to the world as possible while still coming to church and thinking they're a holy child of God. We live in a very, very sensual society. On a daily basis, People make decisions thinking of only what will gratify their physical appetites. And so many of the choices that we make, we never really discover that how those choices are going to affect us in the future. We only think of right now. This feels good right now. I don't want to put this off because if I put it off, I'm not going to be satisfied. This generation has adopted the philosophy as if, if it feels good, just do it. That's why so many life choices are made with the body rather than the head. 
If the head would get more involved, it would say no. But the body is more in control than the head. See, there's power in choices. What you do today, what choice you make today may not affect you tomorrow. It may not affect you next week. It may not affect you next month. It may not even affect you next year. But I will guarantee you, your choices will catch up to you. Your choices will catch up to you. Don't think that you can make choices in secret and then not be revealed. Don't think that. My children have grown up with this scripture that whatever you do in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. I told them that since they were old enough to understand what a secret is. You know, when little kids go, I want to tell you something, but it's a secret. And I told them, well, you know what? You tell me a secret, everybody's going to know. How are they going to know? Because I'm going to tell them. Everything you do in secret, you think it's a secret? It's not a secret. If your sin is left unchecked, those choices are going to catch up to you and you will realize the power of choice that you had. See, in this chapter that we read, chapter 13, Lot is in this place of making choices. And this chapter, it talks about a crisis for both Abram and Lot. And it shows us that there's a cost and there's a, a separation that has to be made for those who really want to follow Christ. You really, really want to follow Christ? You're going to have to come up with some choices and make some decisions because that's what a Christian life is. It's made up of choices. And these choices are given to us every single day. The choices that we make either draw us closer or they draw us further away from Christ. There's only two ways. You're either going closer or you're growing further away. See, Lot and Abram were relatives. Abram was Lot's uncle. When Lot's father died, Abram took him in. He took him underneath his wing. Lot's father was Abram's brother. And so when he didn't have a dad, he took him in. Same thing like so many people today. When there's someone whose parent dies, usually a relative will take them in. Well, that's what happened way back then. And it seemed like they got along pretty well because Lot followed Abram as Abram followed the call of God. Wherever Abram went, Lot followed. But the problem was is that Lot wasn't in this thing all the way. He was a half-baked Christian. You ever tasted a half-baked cookie? A half-baked muffin? Looks baked on the outside, looks brown on the outside, looks good on the outside. And then you bite into it and it's like masa. <laughs> half and half. He wanted the best the world had to offer, but he also wanted what God wanted to offer. Some of you here, you still want what the world has to offer, but then you come on Sundays and you're checking out, okay, what does God have to offer me? In Luke 16, 13, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot have two feet separated. 
They have to be together. Just like you can't separate your limbs, you can't separate one foot in the world and one foot in church. See, Lot had been influenced by his uncle, but Lot had not made his own commitment to the Lord. He just kind of tagged along. Like there's many children here this morning. You haven't made a commitment. You're here because you got pulled here. Your parents drug you here, so you're here. You haven't made a commitment. As soon as you're able, you're out of here. That's all you keep on saying. When I'm 18, I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Famous last words. How many have ever said that? <laughs> then we have even some spouses that haven't made that total commitment. And you're holding your, your other spouse back from really fulfilling everything that God has for them because you haven't made your total commitment. You haven't jumped in all the way. You come, but you haven't actually said yes to everything that God wants for your life. See, God, Lot didn't have a foundation with God. He wanted the world. And what this means is that there are people who come to church and you come for the excitement and you come for the enthusiasm or you come because you saw this girl in the sky and you're like, well, that's the only way I can get them is if I come to church. But let me tell you something. Really, let me tell you this. You know what will reveal your character? Trials. A trial will come your way and you're devastated. You're knocked down. And it's a little one. It's a teeny little bump. You know those little pebbles on the road that trip you? When, you, when you've got your act together and you've got your commitment with the Lord, you hit a little pebble and you may walk unsteady, but hey, you don't fall. You just keep on going. But when you don't have your foundation in Christ, that little pebble will stub you and you'll fall and you're like, oh, forget it. I don't even want to get back up. Abram and Lot had some problems. They had both grown pretty wealthy in their herds and in their flocks. And there were so many animals that their herdsmen were fighting. There wasn't enough room for all the animals to eat from. When you don't want to separate from the world, you're always going to have problems in your life. The decisions may seem small, but you never know where those roads are going to lead. You never know what decision you're going to make that is going to catch you. It's going to bite you in the end. Lot made some decisions. And he lived forever with the consequences of having a worldly-minded mentality. Three things that Lot was. Number one, Lot was weak in his devotional life. The Bible says that Abraham had altars. And we studied about altars last Sunday. Abraham had altars all throughout chapter 12 and even chapter 13. And wherever he pitched his tent, he built an altar. Abraham is associated with altars. An altar is a place of devotion. It's a, it's a place of separation. It's a place where you are talking to God. Abraham had devotions. But the Bible says that Lot had flocks and herds and tents. He had possessions. He had stuff. 
But there's no mention of an altar. There is no mention of Lot ever building an altar. There is no mention of Lot ever even getting together with Abraham to worship God at an altar. There is nothing there. He didn't have a devotional life. He was weak. And instead of lifting his eyes up to heaven, Lot lifted up his eyes to the plain of Jordan. And he saw what his eyes could see. See, our eyes show us what we love. Our outlook will always determine our outcome. What we see, what we like, is what we go after. We will never amount to anything, and I mean absolutely anything, if we don't have an altar experience in our life. With no altars, we're going to make wrong decisions. We're going to make choices with lustful reasoning. Lustful doesn't necessarily have to do with sex. It has to do with anything that gratifies you. We will walk by sight and not by faith. See, Lot felt that he had a good reason to pick the land by the Jordan. He needed it for his flocks and his herds. This plain is all green. I need it not for me, but for my herds. That's what he looked at. And sometimes there are people who choose jobs with more regard for the money than how it's going to impact their family, how it's going to impact their spiritual walk. Lot didn't say, I wonder if this is a good place to raise my children. I wonder if this is a good place for my family. I wonder if this is a good place for me to grow spiritually. No, all he looked at is, what's in it for me? What's in it for me? How can I grow more rich? How can I multiply my herds? How can I multiply my possessions? How can I get a bigger house? How can I get fat bank? what he wanted with no altars in our life we will always choose the path of least resistance the path that's easy we don't want it to be difficult our choices are always going to be based on the fact that if it's too hard or it's too difficult I'm going to take the land that looks like Egypt because that's what the Bible says. He looked at this plain of Jordan and it looked just like Egypt. It's not going to take so much to feed my flocks and feed my herds because there's a river here and it keeps everything green. With no altars, we will choose the path of least, not just resistance, but least restrictions. Nothing to tell us or nobody to tell us what to do. Sometimes guys leave the home. They leave the reentry home. You know why? Because they don't want to be told it's time to get up and pray. They don't want to be told you got to go to church. They don't want to be told certain things, so they don't do it. They say, you know what? I'm out. I, I can handle it. I'm strong. You choose the path with the fewest restrictions in your life. Lot only saw the abundance and the advantages of the land, but he did not have a devotional life. 
Not only was he weak in his devotions, but he was worldly in his desires. Genesis 13.10 says that Lot chose Sodom. He chose Sodom. I'm going to get more into that on the next chapter, but he chose that because it reminded him in the land of Egypt. It reminded him of the world and what he liked. Some of you like certain kinds of music because it reminds you of the world. Some of you like to dress a certain way because it reminds you of the world. Some of you talk a certain way, you get as close as you can because it reminds you of the world. You say certain words. They're not cuss words, but boy, they're close. Boy, they're close. When my kids started using that word, dang, I would say, excuse me? And they're like, mom, I didn't cuss. I'm like, well, you sure sounded like it. Nope. I got as close as I could without crossing the line. Just, just, I'm surfing. I'm not crossing the line. I'm just as close as I can get. Some of the words that the teenagers use today, that's as close as they can get without actually cussing. Lot was worldly in his desires because his tent was pitched towards Sodom. It was a very worldly city of sexual promiscuity and homosexuality. Jesus said, remember Lot's wife. Lot's wife, we don't even know her name. That's how worldly she was. She was worldly. She looked back at what God had saved her from. She looked back and she wasn't just looking back. She was lusting and craving what she left back in Sodom. I can't even imagine what was going through her head. Why would she look back? to look at what she was giving up. She was saying, my home, my possessions, my friends, my lifestyle. Now, I don't think that she was participating or practicing the lifestyle of the sodomites. But one thing I do know is that she was comfortable with where she was living. She was comfortable around the sin. Her heart was still in Sodom. And even worse than that, Sodom was in her heart. I wonder how much of the world you still got in you. You've been serving God for a year, two years, five years, ten years. What's on your iPod? What's on your computer? What do you think about when you daydream? Who do you think about when you daydream? Are you comfortable being in a sin-filled situation and places? Are you comfortable with being around all of that stuff? See, there's a, there is a difference between watching a movie in a theater and watching a movie on your computer or in your bedroom. The difference is you're allowing it to infiltrate your spirit. So not only did Lot not have a devotional life, not only was he worldly in his desires, but thirdly, he was wrong in his decisions. See, Lot had just spent some time in Egypt along with Abram and their whole group. And life had been pretty good in Egypt. 
The food, they got a lot of food. We got to remember they went to Egypt because there was a famine. So there was a lot of food in Egypt. They had a lot of stuff going on there in Egypt. The opportunities were great. And, you know, Abram was being given a lot of stuff. And if Abram was given stuff, then that means Lot was given stuff because, hey, that's my uncle. So my uncle kicks down. And whatever he's got, I got. More than what he could even hope for. But then you know what happened? His uncle told a lie. He told a lie. And because his uncle told a lie, they got kicked out of Egypt. Escorted out of the country. Because of his uncle. They had to leave the good life. They had to go out to the hill country of Negev. It's boring out there in the Negev. There is nothing there but hills. See, Lot had gotten used to the city life. And now he's back into the boring countryside. It's like that song, I don't know how many of you it might date you, but you remember that song, Green Acres? Yeah. Green Acres is the place to be. Fun living is a life for me. Oh, God. Land, <laughs> land coming out so far and wide. Give me, uh, no, give me that countryside. But then she says, no, New York is where I'd rather stay. I get allergic smelling hay. I just adore the penthouse view. Darling, I love you, but give me Park Avenue. It's like, God, I love you, but I still want the world. God, you have so much to offer me, but this looks so good to me. Lot had it all, and he lost it because of his uncle, Abram. Genesis 13, 11, there's three key words right there where it says, then Lot chose. See, God allows us to choose our own path. He allows us to make our own decisions. He's given us a free will, but he doesn't allow us to choose the destination of where that path is going to go to. You make a decision, you set yourself on a path, and you start going down that path. You don't know the destination. You don't know what's at the end of that road. He's going to allow us to choose anything we want, except we cannot choose the consequences. That's up to him. As a matter of fact, we have to live with the consequences of our choices. Every decision we make, to some degree affects the direction of our future. Some of you have made a decision to drop out of school. That has affected your future. Some of you have made a decision to get married to this person or that person. It has affected your future. Everything you do, every choice you make affects your future. Our decisions are determined by our desires. See, all of us are vulnerable in this room. And we can all be tempted and we can all be overcome by sin. And most of the time, the most vulnerable we are is when we think we're the strongest. We think we got it all together. We think we've arrived. We think we've conquered temptation. I, I want to tell you something. Nobody sitting in this room breathing has conquered temptation. If you're breathing... You got a problem with temptation. 
Maybe that's why Proverbs 16, 18 said, Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. See, Lot's decision was based on easy street. I wonder how many people make decisions based on the easiness of your job, the easiness of the money, or the location of your job or where you live. Based on natural desires rather than God's will. It's like the white wolf that is controlled by his hunger for blood. Lot allowed his natural desires to control his ability to make right decisions. See, verses 8 and 9 tells us that Abram didn't like the fact that there was a lot of stress going on between Abram and Lot and their herdsmen. They were fighting. So Abram came up with a solution. You know what? We need to separate here. We can't, we can't do this. We're brothers. We can't be quarreling. We can't let the people around us see us quarreling. We don't get along, so you know what? Let's just go our separate ways. The solution that Abram gave was very practical, and it took care of the problem, but there was a better way. The right thing for Lot to have done would, be, would have been for him to repent of the attitude that he had and begged Abram to let him stay with him. He should have gotten his herdsmen together and said, you know what, it's not all about us. It's not all about our stuff. It's about my uncle. It's about the promises of God that God has given to him. It's about what we're going to be able to do in the future. It's not about us. But he didn't do that. He didn't see it that way. See, we live in a society that when things aren't going the way we want them to, we leave. We separate. It doesn't matter if it's a marriage or a job or even a church. We leave. Our first reaction to problems is to walk out the door. If my needs aren't being met, if I'm not being allowed to do and be everything I want to be, if I can't have a position of leadership, then I'm going to find somewhere to be able to reach my full potential. I am out of here. In your family, there is going to be problems. At your job, there is going to be conflicts. At this church, you're going to get your feelings hurt. I guarantee it. Things are not going to always run the way you want them to. What are you going to do? Take your ball and go home? Just because you didn't get to play? You didn't get picked? There's a lot of us that didn't get, well, I did, but a lot of people that didn't get picked. When you, when, you know, growing up for baseball or, or soccer or dodgeball and, you know, the slower ones or, or the ones who couldn't play, you know, they weren't agile enough, they got, like, left till the end. And it's usually the one that got left to the end, it was their ball. And if they didn't get picked, they would just take their ball and go home. So what are you going to do? Are you going to separate? Or are you going to stay around at work at finding a solution? Unfortunately, Lot went along with Abram's suggestion. The Bible doesn't say that Lot prayed. He didn't seek the Lord. He didn't ask for guidance. He just saw the plain of Jordan. He saw it was well watered. He saw it look good. It looked just like Egypt, looked like the world. 
It was, his decision was based on ease and comfort, so he moved to Sodom. Then notice what happened. He became desensitized to the sin in Sodom. 2 Peter 2.8 says, Yes, Lot was a, was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness he saw and heard day after day. Tormented. But after a period of time, he became numb to it. Just like the white wolf who sliced his tongue on the razor's edge, but didn't know because his tongue was numb. He became desensitized. See, Satan knows when you are constantly bombarded with all kinds of different perversions, eventually you will become desensitized to them. It'll be no big thing. You might even begin to see them as normal. People living together. Now people don't look at it as a sin anymore. It's normal. What? Why are you making such a big thing about it? During World War II, Hitler constantly had his armies watching films portraying the Jews as rats and said they were infecting the world and that they needed to be destroyed. They were being brainwashed. And after a period of time, the Nazi soldiers became so desensitized to the Jews that they were able to annihilate them and kill them. See, we're being bombarded by all kinds of sin today. And as a nation, we have become desensitized. We're not looking at the effects that it has on our society, on our community, on our schools, on our children, and even in our churches today. Look at the changes that have taken place in our society in the last 50 years. Look at the changes on TV. When I was growing up, I watched I Love Lucy. Some of you did too. Still on reruns, Nick and Knight. <laughs> what was amazing to me is that Lucy got pregnant, but they were sleeping in separate beds. And they always slept in separate beds. Now when you turn on the TV, it seems like all they talk about is sex. There's no moral values. There's no more Andy Griffith, no more happy days, no more morals. In our school, 50 years ago, they prayed every single day. Creation was a part of the curriculum, and the Bible was always read. Those men who went to the Mighty Men of Valor heard John Hagee mention from the pulpit how the pastor of one of the largest churches here in America will not talk about sin because he will offend the people in his congregation. So he chooses to motivate them. And he's got many books on motivation, but you don't hear him talking about sin. In some churches today, sin is not condemned. It's honored. Our state is looking to legislate homosexual marriages. In just a couple of weeks, we're growing up around so much sin some of us are just accepting it. No big thing. Satan wants us to begin to accept the world's standards as a normal way of life. Because then he'll know that he has us where he wants us. 
We don't think it's that big of a thing anymore when girls kiss girls and guys kiss guys on TV, in movies. We don't think it's any big thing. It's gross. It's wrong. It's sin. When people have a sex change and then this man who had a sex change and then he wants to have a baby, as a man, the first thing we say is, wow. But the next one that comes up, that does it, we're going to say, oh, yeah, it's normal. We get desensitized to sin. Let, re me, let me remind you of something. Sin will always, always take you farther than you want it to go. It will keep you longer than you want it to stay, and it will cost you more than what you want it to pay. I'm going to repeat that. Sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will cost you more than what you want to pay. When Christians today want to live like Lot did, they're always going to lose. You cannot try to live as close to the world and not think you're not going to be affected. You're not going to be touched by it. You cannot live on a tightrope with one foot in the world and one foot in church. Luke 9.62 says, No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You cannot live for self and the world and at the same time try to please God. You can't do, you can't please both. You just can't. It's a spiritual impossibility. And if you try to live for both, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose your name and integrity in church, and you're going to lose your name and integrity in the world. You can't have it both ways. It's impossible to make right decisions if your desires are worldly, if your devotions are weak. One of my favorite scriptures is in Hebrews eleven twenty seven, where Moses chose the right things because he had his eyes on the right things. It says, by faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. See, when Lot chose the easy way, he was looking as far as his eye could see. And that was as far as his mind could imagine. And that was the way to go. But one thing he couldn't see, one thing the mind could not know, is that at the end of verse 10, it says, This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The decisions that you make without God, the decisions that you make that satisfy your flesh. You don't know what is up ahead. You don't know what God is going to do. God was planning to destroy those cities. You don't know what you're going, what path you're on. It looks really good, like it looked good to Lot. But God was getting ready to destroy that whole region. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it's death. Proverbs 12, 14, the way of a fool seems right to him. The problem with living by sight instead of living by faith is that we can't see tomorrow. We can't see what our choices that we make today are going to do to us tomorrow. Lot chose for himself all the best, and he headed 
in an opposite direction from his spiritual mentor. He thought he was leaving all of his problems behind. He thought he was going to get the good stuff. He was going to have a life of ease and a life of comfort. Lot is a classic example of a worldly Christian. He is what we would call a backslidden child of God in the house of God. What does a backslidden child of God look like? A backslidden child of God look, is like you look like, you act like, and you talk like a lost person. It means that as a saved person, you try to work out your life and your problems by your own thinking by your own way. What seems the best way to do this? Never asking for a multitude of uh, wisdom from counselors. Never looking into your word for direction. Never having anybody come right alongside you. You know what this looks like? It feels right. You know what? It's right. I'm going to do it. And when you do that, you're going to wind up like Lot, losing everything. Proverbs 14, 14 says, the backslider in heart will be filled with the fruit of his own ways. And a good man will be filled with the fruit of his own ways. It means that they can go as far into sin, so far in that they forget what they have been saved from. And sometimes you're here in church and you've made decisions all week long. Decisions that you didn't consult God about, you didn't pray about, you didn't fast about, you didn't get somebody to come right alongside you and pray with you. You just made this snap decision. It feels good. It looks good. It feels right. I'm going to do it. And those are the decisions, those are the choices that reveal your character. Those are the choices that cause you to be like Lot. Lot teaches us a lot from his life. And our choices reveal a lot about our relationship with God. If we don't have a devotional life, it is easy to make decisions that are worldly. Easy to make decisions that are not fruitful. Easy to make decisions appealing to our own desires. We can be a backslidden Christian right here in this church. Forgetting what God has taken us out of. Today, the mirror is up you to look we're all guilty of making wrong decisions we're all guilty of making decisions without seeking God's guidance every so often but some of you you never consult God you never consult the word you never come to another spiritual mentor and say can you help me pray about this decision that I need to make you just follow your own way Lot lost everything. It even gets worse. It gets way worse in Lot's life. Not only did he lose his wife, but he committed incest with his daughters. It gets worse. That's the next channel or the next episode in Lot's life. But it gets worse because he made decisions according to sight. He made decisions on what looked good and not what was right in God's eyes. Stand with me this morning.
And as your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, every head bowed and every eye closed, this is a time of reflection. This is a time that the Holy Spirit comes and shows you the mirror, shows you your choices, shows you what you're prone to. Do you make decisions without God's guidance? Do you look to see what looks good and what feels right? And because then if you do, you're going to be like Lot. Are you like Lot and you're just like, things don't go your way, you're out. You're done. You don't work through situations. Sometimes we can be backslidden here right in the church. Nobody knows. But we do. Some of the choices that some of you have made on your jobs, you've made it not because it's the best thing for your spiritual life, but because of money. Some of you are coming not because you have a total desire to serve God, but you're coming because the possibility God could give you a mate here. That may happen. But if that's your motive, it's the wrong one to have. pray this morning that you would show us the mirror. Lot was a man who didn't have an altar. And because he didn't have that altar, it was easy for him to make wrong decisions. It was easy for him to be led into worldly decisions. It was easy for him to be like that wolf just looking for something that would satisfy him. Not knowing that underneath that pleasure decision, that gratifying decision is death. And there are some here who have been licking. They've taken one lick and they've taken two and they've gotten away with it. Nobody knows. But you do. You do. And I pray this morning that you would shine the light on their heart and in their spirit and let them know they need to stop. They need to stop. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end is destruction. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word to convict us this morning. And as the Lord speaks to your heart we're going to sing this worship song and is there anyone here before I open up the altar is there anyone here who may not know the Lord as their personal savior you've never accepted him into your life and today is the day you want to do it would you raise your hand I'd like to pray with you anyone here Then I'm going to open up the altars for you to come and make it right with the Lord.
Surrender on everything. 